go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Geek Wave. This is the low-budget show. It's the show that's honestly so low. We have no budget. No budget for this low-budgeted show. That's how low the budget goes, baby. What a week we've been having. Just content galore always coming out, baby. We're You know what? This summer's been very interesting, hasn't it? It hasn't been any big summer releases. Still a lot of stuff... I don't like and stuff I did like I just talked about Beast if you haven't seen my review for Beast that is my favorite film of the year question mark I don't know like I'd argue it is but people would disagree with that <laughs> it's such a good film Beast is classic classic movie making brilliant stuff but that's not what we're talking about today we're going to try to talk about Futurama today. I, I don't know why. I, I just, sometimes you get in one of those moods and you're like, yeah, you got to talk about this show. Maybe it's a retrospective. Maybe it's just me thinking about the property a little too much. We'll get into it. But we do have a couple pieces of news to talk about before we take that big jump. Starting with this interesting topic. This literally, I'm like, why hasn't this happened before? Who here? Hands up, actually. Everybody in your own time... While you're listening to this, raise your hand if you said, Jungle Cruise was everything I was looking for in a film. I wish they would do that in the Old West. If, if that was you, raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now. Because guess what? Disney heard your cries. Disney heard all of us go, we need a, like a good old cowboy time Jungle Cruise. Because Bert and Bertie, who were some of the visionaries behind the worst show of the MCU, Hawkeye, they are going to be creating the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad movie for Disney. And <laughs> so, I yeah, it's like the last property they, they've touched. I get it. Those of you who might be out of the loop of like, what the heck's the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad? Well, it's a ride at Disneyland in their Frontierland section. You go on like a mine cart and you just like go through shit. There's like a snake and like a like dynamite and stuff. It's like... A Million Ways to Die in the West if it was good. So I guess the two people who did okay at making Hawkeye are getting the opportunity here. There's so much about this I don't care for. I think there's stuff in here that could be interesting. Because, yeah, bring back the Western. We have extended every other genre to this point of just expulsion. It makes sense to do a Western. You know, there's been some good ones recently. I, I I can't remember that. What's the one? The Harder They Fall. That was an interesting movie. That wasn't too bad. But a good Western's a good Western. But a good Western by Disney, I don't know. It just surprises me that they haven't updated this ride, you know? Now you can't really update Jungle Cruise because you did a Dungle, Jungle Cruise movie in the Pirates of the Caribbean. You're going to milk that franchise forever. I don't know. It's weird. It doesn't seem interesting. You know what's fun? That they like they they didn't try try to reboot Song of the South. And I know it's like, why would you? But it's such a Disney move to think like it'd be cheaper to make a movie than to recreate an entire like amusement ride. Interesting. So a big Thunder Mountain movie. Who's excited? Raise your hand. I'm looking out into the crowd. I see one hand up, and I think they're just asking for the bathroom. So, young man, if you're looking for the bathroom, you have to get off the Jungle Cruise ride, go past Pirates of the Caribbean, down the Space Mountain, and through Tomorrowland, and you'll find it. There you go. 
Was that a good? Was that even a joke, or was I just listing the things that Disney has turned into movies based on their rides? What's next? Who framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> please, please. So there's that. If you're excited for that, I don't blame you, but I do think it's wrong to be excited for this. Sticking to things that are interesting, not a good segue, but we're sticking with it. Jordan L. Sass, who plays Jonathan Kent on Superman and Lois, has decided he is going to step away from the role before filming of the third season begins. Now, we could sit here, spend as much time as we want endlessly speculating on why he chose to step away. There could be a million factors. A lot of the stuff I was reading about suggested it was mental health related, where he was feeling he needed to step away for his own personal well-being. That is a probably an accurate depiction of what that guy needed, you know? But you also see this these some of these reports, and I don't know if they're confirmed or corroborated or anything, but it does sound like he was against some of the directions they could be taking his character and very like, I'm not going to wear a mask or be COVID friendly. Now, I'm not going to say shit about this guy for that reason or any other reason. If that's his choice, it's an, it's one he made and we'll deal with the ramifications. I personally don't feel like this is going to change the show's dynamic too much. Jonathan is a, a interesting character that I enjoy. I think other people could play that role maybe more efficiently. So we'll see what happens. But I hope he gets the help he needs if that is the case. And he feels like his mental health needed more work. Good for you for understanding at a young age. That's what you need. Because we see this a lot in this industry. These young people are kind of thrust into stardom. And it kind of like uproots your entire world. And it can affect you in a lot of ways. We've seen some how it affects some people kind of more just like when they're younger and they're controlled by other people than they grow up to be their own individual. But it affects a lot of people differently. So if you're a young person, you can see in yourself that, oh, your mental health isn't what you want it to be for doing what you're doing. And you can catch that and you can move on from that and kind of grow. I will always support that. Like, good for you for seeing the faults in the system that like, I, I don't want to be a part of this. I would like to move forward from this. That's very cool. That's something that is hard to recognize when you are in this industry sometimes that you are unhappy and when you can understand that, especially when you're in like your 20s and teens, that's really important. So get the help, man. Best of luck to you. If you do come back to acting, it's all good. If you don't, it's all good too. Very Chandler Riggs in that respect for you're kind of put into this big position. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. Like that's the thing people need to realize. You don't have to be put into that position. So very, very cool. Is it? Whatever. They're going to cast fast, do you think? We're going to halt production a little bit to get the right John, or do you think we're just going to upgrade to some random guy show up? Or is it going to be like, oh, Jonathan's just off with his girlfriend doing something else for a little bit? Who is to say, really? Moving on to our next topic is a very exciting one. So I was openly talking about how the reason I still have Netflix is because of The Sandman. The Sandman came out. It was really interesting. They dropped a surprise episode, which was very fun. And then I was like, okay, season two, we'll see. But there's another show that's coming to Netflix that genuinely piques my interest. We have some stills, some official looks at some of the characters and people in it, and a new trailer to talk about. So, ladies and gentlemen, Wednesday is officially coming out this year. So, Jenna Ortega, the modern-day Scream Queen, she is, I think, 
built herself like the reputation of being in these good horror films. She'll be leading the Adams Family reboot Wednesday. And the, the basic story looks like she's going to do something at a public school. She'll be sent to a magical private school elsewhere in the world to do something else where she's going to wreak havoc and find people that have similar interests to her. Jenna looks great. We don't specify what her age is, which I think is okay. I, I get the sense they're going to skew younger, so don't expect this to be kind of like Riverdale-ish, you know, where it's like, look at these 16-year-olds just hooking up in a shower. I, I don't think we're going that row with the character. Although I wouldn't be surprised. The reason I don't think we are is because it is Tim Burton, and he's more of like, oh, we're going to make this really creepy and grimy. He really wanted to make Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children into something. Maybe this is like his redemption arc to make that special. Maybe. It looks great. Jenna Ortega looks great. I guess for some reason, there is a point of contention with some people that Luis Guzman is not sexy enough to be Gomez. Two things to say about this. One, Luis Guzman looks the most accurate to the original source material for Gomez. And two, if you are a grown human being who doesn't find Luis Guzman attractive or vigorating or just something you'd like to spend time with and be in a room with, just have that energy wash over you, maybe hold his hand a little too long in a park, that's on you for being stupid because that man is just vibrancy and pizzazz and culture and suave rolled into one thing. And the way he just gets so intense with his woman, oh my goodness, the best romance ever written. I'll stand by this. It's Gomez and Morticia and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Love her. I still think there needs to be some proven waters there. She might just, she just reminds me too, like Hollywood, if that makes sense. And I think Morticia should be more like obscure Hollywood, but she looks fantastic. I love their chemistry. They just look like these two people that could just like jump on each other at any moment. And that is so hot and so cool to see. And it makes Wednesday very uncomfortable. So I like seeing that. Like you've got the perfect casting, I think, for everybody. The one I'm the most worried about is Zeta Jones, but she's a fantastic actress. I know for a fact she's going to pull it off. I'm just hesitant with this material we've got so far. And I don't think like her and Louise have big roles in this. But, man, sexy people doing sexy things. It's nice to have sexy people doing sexy things in these types of shows. We're so used to this, like, androgynous, asexual-feeling story in some of these big franchise pieces now. It's really cool that we can just get horny back into them, you know? And look, maybe this will be the story where Wednesday Adams is a grown, uh, an older woman and she finds a love interest or something. I don't know. Either way, she throws piranhas into a pool and it bites off a guy's dick. How can you not be excited for what that's going to bring to the table? All I know is awesome. Super excited to see that. And sadly, we have more pieces of news to talk about. I am slowly just bringing up every little thing happening at Warner Brothers Discovery every day. Because it sucks that this is the world we live in. This is a big one, though. Like the big, There's a big push going around, especially at WBD to kill off the animated side of everything. And I can kind of understand that from this point where it's like, it's expensive for the output you're getting. And it's so weird to me that like animation has kind of become like this sub genre where it's like these certain types of filmmakers don't respect the medium. Others do. Others understand its value. Like Lord of Miller, Guimero del Toro, those people do understand it and respect it. But you just see a guy like Zaslav's like, oh, there's nothing here. This is for kids. 
Kids don't put money into discovery. <laughs> Screw them. So they took off a lot of animated pro- programs from HBO Max. I don't remember every single one. But the big two, well, I don't even want to say the big two because all animation is equal. A lot of children's programming, which is sad to see just lost to the ether. The two that have become very spoke, outspoken online have been OKKO OK because the creator is talking about that a lot and Infinity Train. And those are both very scary instances because not only is the content being removed from that, the soundtracks and songs are being removed from things like Spotify and Apple Music and you see the clips are being removed from YouTube. It's literally, it's so tragic to say this, but we're literally in in an era where lost media is going to be the biggest thing in the world. And that is so scary. That is so scary because the entire existence of streaming services was like this idea, you have a whole back catalog. But just think, you know how we lost like hundreds of films just to like bad preservation? We're losing hundreds of films now because we're not getting physical media for them. These companies don't want to push the certain products, so they're just going to remove it so they don't have to pay residuals. And that's the other thing, too. They're not going to, they, they're getting rid of them because they don't have to pay residuals for something they don't want to. Terrifying. Terrifying stuff to hear. And in the case of things like Infinity Train, that was such like a fan-pushed thing where it's like the people behind this got it because the fans were excited about it. And now it's probably going to be lost forever because some of these things don't get collected into physical media, so you can't buy them. It's sad to say I don't support this, but it's something that I'm going to recommend a lot of people do now is pirate movies. Download, not even illegally anymore, just find however you get your films, you torrent them or whatever, and save these, download them onto a USB, convert them into CDs, and bootleg them at conventions, man. Because that is how you're going to save some of these shows. You look at, like, again, a lot of, like, these older films that you know, some, they're just remastered because somebody, like, had, like, a thing in their backyard or, like, in their garage. It's like, oh, I just have these old canisters. Maybe we should remaster them and release this, like, new Blu-ray copy of whatever film this is. And the fact that we're going to lose so much media because we can't keep track of these things is so frustrating it is so sad heartbreaking all these things we're gonna lose like it breaks my heart to no end that this is where it's coming to and people are like it's just wbd it's not just wait the moment amazon realizes oh oh, hey nobody's watching the boys diabolical it's gone they don't have to pay anybody in that anything anymore animation is such an important medium it's a lot of people's gateway into great storytelling and to writing and to cool concept art. And it feels like we're just losing that flavor again. And you know it's getting bleak when they cancel Batman Cape Crusader. You know that thing where the, the people behind the animated series, like the original animated series that everybody loves, and Matt Reeves and Abrams were working on? Yeah, well, HBO Max is not moving forward with that. That's how bleak this has gotten. They're canceling Batman stuff. The, the, the company that releases a new Batman comic book every second day are canceling the Batman cartoon. What is happening? What are, we do- what are we doing here? Why is this the modern day thing that's happening? It's killing me. It's crushing my spirits to no end. I can't keep going on like this. You shouldn't have to either. And here's the real gut punch. I know this is maybe not for everybody, but it's a real gut punch to me 
is that HBO Max is removing over 200 episodes of Sesame Street. And I'm like, this should just be the thing that is always in circulation. These endless back catalogs of children's content that teaches kids stuff. Like, it is, I cannot believe that they would do that. And I was, I'm so happy. I'm beyond happy that the Sesame Street YouTube channel is like, full episodes of the new stuff airing right there. Please watch it. We're go- are we going to lose countless episodes of Sesame Street because of this? I can't even... That is so heartbreaking to think. And I know a lot of those are collected in like physical media, but it's probably harder to get some of that media because now these companies aren't going to want to release new remastered versions of this content. This sucks. We are in we're in a, a bad time, man. This is all this is all shit. Like it's bleak. It's only gonna get worse. I, I know I sound like an asshole saying that, but it's true. Like in the next ten years, the streaming landscape is gonna change so aggressively that I don't think anybody truly understands what is coming. And that is terrifying and so bizarre. How much content have we lost? So I am, I don't know. I I think I'm starting to fight back and I might go back to physical media. I might try to get like an actual setup, you know, with a nice Blu-ray player, a nice projector screen somewhere. That might be where I'm headed. But think of all the stuff I won't be able to get because they're not going to release it in physical media. That's amazing. Like, here, I'll just put it in like a scary context for you. Imagine tomorrow, every single thing Disney Plus release has gotten people buzzed up. Obi-Wan, Miss Marvel, WandaVision, those just went away and they didn't release them on physical media. You don't have them anymore. They're gone. You have to download it illegally from a pirate site and that's it. That's how tragic this is getting. I'm so worried about content. It's scaring me. But let's step away from this bleakness and jump into the year 3000, baby, because we're talking Futurama. At some point, I I have a feeling I'm going to talk about every one of these staples of adult animation. You know, like this era kind of took over from what I guess you could consider to be the Hanna-Barbera era. You know, where like the Flintstones was prime time and it kind of like became that forever. And then it just became, oh yeah, the cartoons in the 80s were just aimed to sell toys. Then Cartoon Network kind of moved in in the 90s and the 2000s. That became a new thing. Disney Channel started to do their, like, afternoon stuff. And it is The Simpsons that gets all of these other things made. It it is. And I think there's something very compelling about how it's the shows from, like, the 90s and early 2000s that are the ones that have the staying factor. Because every time, like, Fox tries to do another one of these it doesn't really work the, the most interesting example of that is bob's burgers where it's actually consistently existed for that long every other one's kind of fallen flat you know the simpsons has endured family guys endured bob's burgers has endured american dad has switch networks almost as many to, well not almost not as many about as many as futurama has and of all of those five Futurama is kind of the one that doesn't get the longevity. It's arguably the one people like the most. It might be the smartest one. You know, Matt Groening is not a dumb guy. 
he knows how to make those kind of stories and, and like develop a world of its own. The Simpsons is supposed to be like the world outside your window. It's kind of like, look at your dumb neighbors. This family's so weird. It's eccentric. You look at it, you're like, look at these yellow people being dumb and silly. Futurama is the world of the future, kind of built in that mentality, but it's silly. It's crazy. It's creative in its own endeavor. And I think there is something about the Futurama staying power that none of these other ones have. It, it almost has the more cult following compared to any of the other ones. You don't see people revere American Dad or Bob's Burgers the same way they revere Futurama. And I, if I were to like stack them all up together, The Simpsons is still number one for me. I, I think I would edge out Family Guy over Futurama just slightly because there are so many interesting things that Family Guy did that would ruin animation later on in the world. And I think Futurama, it, it just has too much working against it to have it maintain its course. That being said, it, it does the SpongeBob thing to me, where it's like those original like first few seasons really tell this compelling story of like how to tell comedy. It, it's not like you know the best animated or the smartest, most interesting endeavor, but you see the genius behind every little interaction, every little moment going into it, and that's kind of like the coolest thing to happen in this type of comedy. So. There is something about Futurama. I, it's got to be like the space thing, right? Anytime you make like a science fiction-y thing, there is that extra layer to it that people like because you can go into more absurd ideas and have there still be like the staying power and the connection for all that. There is something to be said about that. I think is really cool. And when you're doing like this animated show, you, you're kind of copying the Simpsons format of like iconic silhouettes because essentially... Bender is just Homer a robot. That's like his design is that completely Zoidberg almost right down to the size of how he is. There is something about that that works and that that style has become so iconic throughout the 90s. So when you get to like the actual premiere of this show, you're like, oh, the Simpsons guy are doing a science fiction thing. That's an interesting concept. Like I could imagine being there because it aired March 28th, 1999. I could imagine being there thinking to yourself, okay. I see. The Simpsons guys are trying to do their Frasier thing, you know? Branch off into something, a, a completely different direction. And I would argue it paid off. I would. I think it, it, it's also that thing of this generation. And we were just talking kind of about this in like the news, right? Where I'm like, physical media saves a lot of these things in the early days. Physical media saved Family Guy. Physical media essentially saved John Carpenter's career. Physical media saved Futurama. They brought it back for like literal TV movies to watch. And then they put those on DVDs. You could just buy that and get like an extended couple episodes. And like that essentially saved it. And I'm just like, we don't do that anymore. You wouldn't get this opportunity today to save it. And well, I think there would still be like the cult following for like the first four seasons of Futurama if it didn't come back. Definitely having it come back and get more to like that longer appreciated syndication format helps it out a lot. I don't know if they're still syndicating Futurama or if any major networks are still doing that, but it definitely helped boost up this thing's numbers because it needed it. And I'm looking kind of at like the, you know, the numbers of people watching it. It was never bad, but there is certainly a drop off as the story progresses. And that's just with everything. Eventually, nobody is watching it when you move it to something else. And that kind of sucks. But Futurama, 
it is the cultist of those kinds of animated properties and that's why it's probably the most revered and you could pick certain episodes from every one of those five shows i've talked about if i had to take one off the list for like genius like stories it would be american dad but you can take all of those concepts you could take an episode of the simpsons or family guy or bob's burgers or futurama pick a specific episode and you could craft that into a like a genius script with great writing and win an award for it i think all of those shows have award worthy episodes in them i will say this aside from the simpsons early futurama probably has the most award worthy episodes in it because what they're willing to do and the stories they're willing to tell is kind of fantastic and like some of them don't hold up well some of them age poorly some of them don't work but there's some interesting concepts in there do I need to explain it further than Jurassic Bark? You know, that iconic episode that uh, essentially changed the world, you know? <laughs> like, it's insane. Like, the dog has become the episode in on itself that people could reference and talk about. But that's an episode you wouldn't get in Simpsons or Family Guy because it, it's not letting the jokes dictate the situation. And that's something that... Futurama, I think, did more than any other show. It let the concept dictate the situation more than the joke. Family Guy, the joke was the cutaway, the setup, the look at look at a shine of lens on this really specific thing, and that's the joke. The Simpsons was like, how many jokes can we tell per second? Every line of dialogue becomes a joke or a reference or something silly we're saying. Futurama, in that classic fashion that a lot of other shows have emulated and did before it, let the circumstance dictate it and we make jokes around that it is a rare concept to see but when you do it it's very fun and that's i think that's essentially what made this show so impactful again not my favorite but it's one that i i look back on i'm like oh yeah we couldn't do this today because we wouldn't have the patience to let it grow like this to slowly build our stories and just like play off that stuff because it doesn't jump into anything right away. We have the initial episode where it's like, okay, we have Philip J. Fry. He's a pizza delivery boy in the year 1999. He doesn't like it. He gets cryogenically frozen by mistake, wakes up a thousand years later, and becomes a delivery boy again. Like, that's the entire premise. And it's kind of cool that we just start off like that because the other ones, again, I don't want to keep comparing it to these other shows, but essentially... You look at its contemporaries, right? They're all about family. And I guess Futurama is technically about family because Farnsworth and Fry are related, but it's more about like your adoptive and chosen family. And it's a workplace comedy, which was something animation kind of needed because look at these other shows and animation that have become workplace comedies. That's kind of exciting. There is something special about this show, and I don't know if we if we can capture it again. That, uh, that initial concept is great. And again, I think it comes down to the most iconic designs in animation. Look, the Simpsons are iconic. The Griffins are iconic. But the Planet Express delivery team, they're on a whole other level of just like, oh yeah, that's a silhouette. Fry is obviously generic. He's just your orange-haired random guy. It's perfect. It's whatever. Leela is kind of changing the idea of like the powerful, you know, leading lady in this, making her different. Like, I think the easier thing to do would be like, oh, yeah, she's just a normal girl and, and her and Fry are going to be fine. But like the mutant thing with one eye, it's different enough where you'd be OK with that and accepting of what is happening in there. And Bender is 
a whole beast of his own. You know, like that is a concept and a character that has stood the test of time and will probably stand the test of time forever. People love robots. I would I would put Bender in the list of the best robots on television of all time. I think you have to. He became an icon. They focused so much on his stories, his upbringing, his creation from Hermes and all that stuff. Like they focused a lot on his character and not only as the joke, like they let him grow and heal and believe things and fall for things and do certain stories. It's kind of interesting that way. And of those as your main three, the supporting cast is quite interesting too. Farnsworth is the mad scientist. It works well. It's very funny. Billy West, I think, is like one of the unsung heroes of voice acting. I don't think he gets the nearly enough recognition he deserves. John DiMaggio, I think, gets a, enough because like, oh yeah, you you know his stick. You know how good he is. I really like all... I like this entire cast. I think it's one of the strongest ensembles put together for this. Tress McNeil is another one of those people that I put alongside Billy West where it's like, you, you shouldn't just rule them out as some of the best of the best. They just don't get like... They just don't get the like the, the treatment of like, yeah, this is great. It's They're awesome. They're so good at everything. I love it. It's so strong and compelling. They're so cool. And of course, Katie Seagal... I love that she's able to completely redefine her career with this, where she kind of became, you know, she was the sitcom girl for a bit, and then she just kind of like stayed there, guest starring on other sitcoms, doing that thing. And this was just like, what if you just did like the voice of a sexy mutant lady, and then you do Sons of Anarchy? And you're like, that is a career and a half, my friend. Like, that is a huge change of pace. And I think that's really cool, really fun. I just dig that. It's, and then of course, you know, guys like Phil Lamar showing up. It always it's just fun to see him doing stuff. It's great. Just like those classic voiceover people coming back and making this special. I like it. Zoid Berg, another great character. Hermes and Amy, they're great characters. I, I personally like Scruffy. He's pretty fun. And I think what this show does, again, better than other ones that I'm doing, and I, I don't want to keep comparing this show to its contemporaries, but I think you have to because that's what made it different than them. It was a science fiction thing. It wasn't about a family they actually did multiple episode stories that wasn't just like, oh, we're calling back to when, you know, Ned and Homer got married here. Oh, we're calling back to when Lois's brother tried to kill everybody. You know, you're calling back to those. You get it. It's not like an extension, but it's like we have multiple arcs to actually talk about with these characters. There's actual growth for Fry and Leela and Bender. There's a whole side story of like Lur and Nibbler and all those things and Zap. Oh my goodness, Zap is great. One of the other things that you really notice is just like the the love and the admiration for classic sci-fi in the show. Because, you, you know, Kang and Krodos are very much like classic-y, Martian-looking characters. That's what, And that's like the thing where Groening's like, I like those things. Let me do classic science fiction. The big crab guy, the big talking robot, but we'll throw it on his head a little bit. We'll give you your Captain Kirk lead in Brannigan, give you his Spock in Kip, and just make it completely different. Subvert your expectations so much. The leader of the new New York is Richard Nixon. Like, it's just taking these classic ideas, switching them enough to do something new and original, and I really commend them for that. It's something you don't get to see a lot of anymore, and I, I really admire that. And so I just love things that love classic sci-fi. Because it's something you don't get to see a lot anymore. And I, I admire that. Because just coming out of like Jordan Peele's Nope, you're like, oh man, this guy loves the Twilight Zone. He made the Twilight Zone reboot, now that I remember. I think that's just really awesome when guys are like, no, we're going to dedicate an entire episode to the classic Star Trek actors coming back to voice themselves. 
And that's the thing, too. It's like, it's timely of the early 2000s. Here's Lucy Liu coming in for her thing. It's fun. But then it just makes random jokes that don't connect to anything. You're like, what What a weird specific thing to do. But it's cool. And it works. And again, when it's allowing itself to grow as a concept and do different things, it's really interesting. When it's just like, here's a standalone episode of Fry's nephew growing up to become an astronaut in the name of his uncle. Here's a standalone episode of the origin of Bender being made by Hermes and how he was supposedly defective, but he worked fine. Here's the story of, you know, Fry's dog waiting for him outside the pizza shop forever and he just dies a sad, tragic life. You don't get that type of emotional beat in any other thing. It is strong. It is captivating. It is intense. And it's sick. It's very creative. Very fun. That up, I mean, I know people better than me have probably done think pieces on like that episode of with, you know, Fry's dog. But there's something about that you don't get that kind of emotional resonation a lot anymore where it's just like, what if it just ends in tragedy? What if the doc spent its entire life waiting for its owner to come back and it never did? It is kind of heartbreaking. And there's something about that that only Futurama gets right. And we'll go into a little bit with like where it comes back and where it leaves again. But I think you have to commend the show for having a very satisfying finale like, it didn't try to do too much. It was just, no, we have been spending seven seasons building up to this romance. So, here it is. Here it is in full. And I think that's really cool. It's kind of special in that way. It's not something we get to see a lot of anymore. And I commend it for taking those opportunities to do that. It's just like, meanwhile, is such a great finale because we, we, we know eventually it's got to get there. And the fact that it gets there... Oh, it's so satisfying. It's such a good finale. And, you know, those later episodes, there is some iffy stuff in them. Pretty much with everything. I will always stand by the fact that I don't think any show really needs to go over eight seasons. I know this is seven seasons, but sometimes they break them up to the point where they, like, split it into different parts. And it's kind of like a weird thing that they're doing. But it's creative to say the least like the show found its footing enough and i think that's kind of cool so like i said the first couple seasons i guess the first four seasons are kind of like here you go here here's your classic fox stuff classic you know cartoons of that genre it kind of faded with the family guy stuff where it's like oh yeah you like it it's not doing the best numbers for us it'll never be the simpsons but we got a fun science fiction show, memorable characters, interesting stories that is willing to go a little more extreme than some of our other contemporary animated projects. And that's very exciting. But ultimately, the numbers fell hard, like harder than you'd expect for a show like this. So they they eventually cut it off and, and they have to cancel it. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with canceling it. Those things happen all the time. Then, of course, with season five, they do like DVD movies. It's like, here you go. Here's four TV movies for you to check out. Bender's Big Score, which is, yeah, it's fine. I don't know if it's the best one. The Beast of a Billion Backs is kind of interesting. It's not great. Bender's Game, again, none of these are like bad. They're just like, okay, just extended things. And you get the sense like if this is the standard norm we're getting for these things now, we've seen worse, you know, like... I guess what I could say, one of the positive things I could say about this show is that more than any 
other in in those five it's held on it's it's held on the best you know the later episodes are better than the later episodes of other shows they're not great but they're strong enough where they can be their own thing and that's kind of exciting in its own way so i i gotta be impressed with that it's kind of fun kind of interesting to do things that way we do that then we go to the comedy central cartoon network-ish era because yeah it's like it's on adult swim for those and it moves to comedy central and then we get like season six and seven and you're like oh these are fun and interesting they're kind of cool concepts and you don't really realize like how long ago that was because it kind of just feels like futurama ended yesterday you know but it was like almost 10 years ago now that the last episode aired and that's kind of impressive like the show is pretty interesting that way i don't know something about it there's just something about it that just works and maybe just me being like, oh, it's because classic sci-fi works in every genre you put it in. Is that the case? Because it's true. You could do hardcore classic sci-fi, comedic classic sci-fi, romantic classic sci-fi, and it works, man. I think it's just the characters are memorable. The voice acting is great. There's actual talent behind the writing staff on this thing, and people are willing to give it a chance. I just, again, it's DVDs that make things a cult classic today's climate we don't have cult classics anymore like you cannot tell me one thing that came out after 2015 that's become a cult classic because it's just either in the zeitgeist or faded into obscurity now and i think just like dvds of this shit just pushes it up to that top to the point where we're getting more futurama again we are actually getting a reboot of futurama and i don't want to spend too much time on that because i don't think it's a great idea and you see like okay they, they kind of like you know push it a little bit because dimaggio wants more money and you're like that's kind of fun but something about that that's kind of interesting i guess so futurama is just incredibly fun and staying power and like we did a spongebob i want to kind of end this things talking about the top 10 episodes of futurama according to variety and of course this article came out very recently actually february 11th of 2022 by katsy steven stefan so here i guess are the 10 best episodes of Futurama, according to this article. Rose Well That Ends Well, Season 4, Episode 1. Yeah, that's true, I guess. You know, Fry becoming his own grandfather is kind of a funny concept. That's the other thing, too. It's like, yeah, let's let's play with time travel and not try to take it seriously. We'll make it a joke. You know, Rick and Morty did take a lot from them. I, I gotta say, like, they took a lot from them. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Uh, number nine, when aliens attack season two, episode three. Is this when we are introduced to Lure? Yes. Okay, that's kind of fun where he's just like, this television sucks. I want more Ally McBeal. Give me that shit. Like, yeah, very fun. Very cool. Episode eight, I mean, number eight, how Hermes re- re- requisitioned his groove back season two, episode 11. Hermes is like the unsung hero of this show. He's like, Phil Lamar is like the only member of this cast I actually got to meet. And he was like the nicest guy. And he was just so sweet to talk to and, and just really cool. And I just think like Hermes is one of those roles that just becomes like obscure and you don't really think about it. But he's just cool. Just fun. And this episode, yeah, it's interesting. Something to do. The Luck of the Fryrish is seven on here. Season three, episode four. Yeah, that's okay. I'll give you that. That's an okay one. Uh, season one episode six is number six a fish full of dollars yeah that's okay like i'll be honest when i sat down to do this video i thought i would have more to say on a future on but the truth is it's just 
the most enduring of this generation. Like you don't look back on season 28 of the Simpsons fondly. You don't look back on season 17 of family guy fondly, but whether it's a shitty season of Futurama, there is stuff to like about it. It's kind of interesting. Interesting to think about at least the day the earth stood stupid as number five. Yeah, this is a great one. I love the Nibbler storyline. So when they explore that more, I think it's really cool and how you could actually see Nibbler's shadow pushing Fry into the vat. I think oh, that's so cool. What a great use of that storyline. Just like having your like random event workplace comedy have some deeper impact. I think that's a really cool concept. Number four is Leela's homeworld season four, episode two. Again, you could have easily have just made Leela like a normal human, but the fact that she's a mutant who gets to live amongst the living just adds more to her story. I think that's really cool. Just goes to show you, you can do politics anytime you want. Exactly. Number three is Meanwhile. Yes, we just talked about this. I think this is one of the greatest episodes ever. And I think this is how you do like a finale for one of these kind of cartoons. And I did an entire Geekwave episode talking about how to end The Simpsons to do their final episode. And this is where I'm like, why would you want to bring Futurama back again? You nailed it perfectly the first time you did it. There's nothing you could do now that lives up to what this was. It's just not going to work. Uh, number two is The Devil's Hands or Idle Playthings. This is another thing that Matt Groening is kind of obsessed with. I guess it starts with like Life in Hell, his comic strip there. He really likes playing with hell. And I think delving into it more in Futurama than other stuff where it's like, yeah, the robot devil, the robot hell, it's all exists. You know, Fry loses his hands, gets the devil's hands to play the flute better for Leela. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, look, of course. Number one is Jurassic Park. Of course it is. If it wasn't, we'd all be lying to ourselves now, wouldn't we? This show is special in ways I don't think a lot of people younger than a certain generation realize. It, it could easily just be played off as like, oh, this is just another Simpsons type of thing, but it's not. It lets its characters grow. It has emotional beats you are not expecting. It's creative. It's colorful. It's so classic science fiction that it hurts sometimes. And it's found a life of its own, gaining cult status through DVD sales and just continuing to impress each audience. And that's why Hulu rebooting it really confuses me because you can't really do it better than you already did. That's just me. But maybe other people would think differently. I personally just think there's not more you could do. You told the story you could. You gave all these characters interesting beats. Like, I don't know. I don't know. So that's Futurama. I'll end with this. My favorite characters are Zap, are Fry, and are probably Hermes. I really like a lot of those classically good episodes. I like the ones where they like break off to like, what if we just were in the style of Scooby-Doo? What if we were just fish in the water? I, I, I quote it all the time. I, what, what does Fry say when he's a salmon? He's like, I don't have to think. I'm a salmon. I love that line. It's like, that is something I say all the time. I don't have a mind. I'm a salmon, something like that. I love it. It's good stuff. Like a funny, like this show, it's good. It's creative. It's original. I don't know if we'll ever have another thing like it again. Rick and Morty thinks it's this, but it's just not. And I did not even talk about all the other characters that are in this show. Just go watch it for yourself and you'll see how much they love Star Trek and how much Matt Groening loves hell for some reason. Do I have recommendations for you? Of course not. It's just go watch Futurama because this is a video talking about what I think about it. So go check that out. Enjoy it yourself too. 
fun content all around. That is going to do it for this episode of The Geek Wave. Now, thank you guys for watching this video. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. As always, you can check me out on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And if you like us on the podcast feed, give us a little rating over there. It definitely helps out. As always, I will catch you in the next one. Have fun, stay safe, enjoy some Futurama, and good luck.